It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome into World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Live every weekday, 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 to 5 on the Eastern Seaboard and 9 to 10 GMT. We got a great guest for you today. Danny Higginbottom is going to be with us. You might know his work from Talk Sports uh, as well as a number of other media outlets over the last few years in the UK, and he'll be co-commentating the FA Cup third-round clash between Manchester United and Sheffield United, the Blades, on this upcoming Saturday. Man United and Sheffield United, both former clubs of Danny Higginbottom, so it should be quite fun to talk all about that upcoming match and a whole lot more with Danny here in this edition of World Soccer Talk Radio. You can find me, Nate Abarea, on Twitter at NateWST and get a hold of all of us at World Soccer Talk. You can also follow at Sports Byline USA for updates on the show. Subscribe to us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and check out the website, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Leave us a review on iTunes when you get a chance. Some fun news in the American soccer landscape today. The January camp roster was released by Zee Jürgen. Zee Jürgen signed off on it. He had some other people participating in, in the process, but he signed off on the final January camp roster. Do not call it Camp Cupcake. I'm going to go with Camp Apple Pie. You know, it's still a baked good, but it's more American, and it doesn't degrade these players who are a part of this camp. Go back and listen to our show with Jimmy Conrad back from August, and you'll hear why. I refuse to call this Camp Cupcake. This still means a lot to some of these individuals, including a couple of San Jose earthquakes. That's right, Fatia Lashi and Mark Pelosi getting called into this camp. I absolutely love it, and I love that the teams are listed next to all of these players, the teams which they play for. And next to the names Jermaine Jones and Jordan Morris, we have Unattached. Must be a damn fine team, Unattached FC. Look forward to seeing what they're going to do in the MLS season. Getting ready for a big friendly against Iceland on January the 31st. And Aaron Johansson is going to be nowhere in sight. Kind of sad. I feel like that's the Aaron Johansson Bowl. Iceland, USA. And he's not even going to be there. Stay tuned to World Soccer Talk Radio. We're back with Danny Higginbottom after this right here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. USA, baby. No place to hang out or wash in. And then again.
Welcome back into World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Nate Abaurea. Tweet me at NateWST and get a hold of all of us on Twitter at World Soccer Talk. Our guest in this edition of the show, you may know his work from Talk Sports and the fantastic radio commentaries that come from uh, Talk Sport in the UK. You may know him as a Manchester United man, a Derby County man, a Southampton man, a Stoke City man, a Sunderland man, a Nottingham Forest man. The list goes on and on. His name is Danny Higginbottom. And Danny, this weekend, you're calling the FA Cup clash between Manchester United and Sheffield United. It's two of your former teams, but I got I to gotta go out on a limb here and say that that might happen fairly often for you <laughs> yeah especially if they're playing red and white i seem to have seem to have an attraction with red, red and white stripes a lot of the a lot of the time as well but it was only really a thing towards the end of my career where you know as, as my career was starting to to go go down a little bit as i was getting a bit older i had a few low moves but you know i was fortunate enough to stay at you know the, a lot of the clubs that you've mentioned for for a good two or three years uh, but that's football you know that's what it's like but I get to, I got to sample different uh, living in different areas of England and and obviously getting to know different supporters, which is always good. Now, Danny, an interesting tie-in as far as this matchup is: it's the club where you started your career, and then it's a club where you were at towards the the tail end of it. I believe in in 2013 uh, with with your uh, time with Sheffield United. So, I mean, does, does does that at all tie into your head? You know, kind of seeing seeing your career coming full circle, or are you firmly focused on the on the match and yeah. the commentary assignment? No, I'm. I'm. I, I like to think of myself that, that one of these people that I don't. I, I don't tend to look back really in, in, in anything that I've done. Um, you know, I'm always one for looking forward. Or she'll. You, you know, if you keep looking back, you'll never go forward. So, I was very. You know, very humbled with the football career that I had. I played some fantastic football teams, and I was. I was fortunate enough to call, you know, football my my job for 15, 20 years. So, you know, that's it, it was fantastic. But it's gone now. I enjoyed every single minute of it. But what I do now, you know, I, I don't miss playing in the slightest since the since the minute I finished. I I don't miss it, and I, and I guess that's because you go into something else, and if you get a passion for something else, which I really do, I, I probably enjoy what I'm doing now more than I did probably in the last two, two and a half years of my career. So I think I'm very privileged and very fortunate to have found something that I'm so passionate about. Well, Denny, how did that come about? And and not just the radio, because you, you've done print and television work as well. Very, very high quality stuff. And just talk about how the, the media world came about for you. Was it something that you thought about during your playing no. career? No, it wasn't. I've always been, when I was playing, within reason, you know, in life, within reason, not not these extreme things that happen to people, but I always believed that everything happens for a reason, obviously, like I say, to a certain extent, and that was the way things had always been for me, and then I remember we, um, I was at Stoke City, and we played West Ham in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, and I scored the winner in that game, and then about three weeks later, you know, things were going really well, and about three weeks later, we, we played Chelsea, and I did my cruise shit in the last minute. So it meant that I missed the the semi-final uh, um, at Wembley and I also missed the final. And at that time, was when I really started questioning things. It was like, okay, well, you know, why is this happening? And what's the reason why this is happening? And there was nothing really that I could get my head around, obviously, you know, speaking to my wife about it. And it, it's something that really puzzled me. Obviously, I was quite down and frustrated at the time. And then I started to do a few things because obviously Stokes had made the final of the FA Cup. So all of a sudden different companies wanted me to do different things and then didn't really take much notice of it, did a few things and then I got back playing again and then towards the end of my career I got asked to do a few things and it just really built from there probably to the point where you know, where football was getting in the way of doing 
my new thing that I was really passionate about. I've always loved football and nothing ever got in the way of football. You know, it was always the most important thing. And, and even at times during your career, your family have to take a back burner, which is, you know, a sacrifice that you have to make at times. But it, it just got to the point where, you know, football was now becoming secondary to, to all the other things that I was doing. And that's when I then looked back and looked back and thought, okay, well, this injury that I did with McCrucia, okay, Mr. Mr. Semi-final and the FA Cup final, but it was really the opening to a new career. So, that's the way I look at it, but I've just I've been very fortunate. I think since I finished playing, um, the the rise that I've had so quickly has been has been great. And, and like I say, enjoy it. You, you, I always say, if you work hard, you get what you deserve. And you know, I like to think that that I put the, the prep in, the effort, and everything like that. And then it's it's up to people and whether they like you. And I think the last two years for me have been been different because like in anything I considered my going into the media world at first an apprentice again and you get asked to do something you say yes so you know I was always away from the family for a while because what I didn't want was after a year or two of doing media I was quite prepared if someone turned around to me and said listen thanks for, for doing what you've done for us but you know what we don't like we, we don't think you're good enough that falls on me then I'm just not good enough but if a company would have turned around to me and said you know, we like what you do, but you've not done enough for, you, enough for us. Then I've let myself down. So, you know, that that's what I did. And, and now it's it's just, it's becoming more, you know, I can get a pattern now and it's all about getting getting the happy medium with, with doing the medium with my family as well, which I'm getting now, which is great. And you've been wearing quite a few different hats. Again, I, I go back to the fact that, you know, I, I'm mostly familiar with your radio work and listening to matches on, yeah. on TalkSport quite often, but you, you do writing, you do television work, but specifically in regards to your work with TalkSport and, and co-commentating yeah. matches, talk about what the radio means to you. You know, I'm, I'm a nostalgic nut job myself. I'm okay. obsessed with the radio, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's been refreshing hearing you as well as a number of other former players who are seeming to be part of almost a, a radio football renaissance going on in England right now. Talk about what the radio means to you, Danny. Well, I, I, I do both. I do the TV and the radio, but the thing is with radio, when, when you're at the game, you have to basically, when, when you're doing the TV commentary, less is more because you don't have to paint pictures for people. People are watching it on the TV. So if anybody's listening on the, on the radio, it becomes more, it becomes more personal. You know, because a lot of people will be driving, and no matter what they're doing, you know, they can be, they can be doing anything, and you know, and they can be listening to you. So you've got to paint this picture for them. So if you're at a game, you you, you try and obviously you have the main commentators describing the atmosphere, but you've also got to do that as well because obviously radio you, it doesn't give pictures, so you have to paint the pictures for people. But like television, it, it becomes a very personal thing. And, and like I say, with radio, people can listen to it anywhere. So it's important that if you're doing a game, that you're describing you're describing describing the game. Because if you think about it, it's it's like somebody you know, watching the game, but obviously they can't see the game. And I think that's very important is to to be passionate about it. But it's two very different things um, doing TV commentary and, and radio commentary. You know, like I say, television, you don't have to paint the pictures for people; they can see it right in front of their eyes. And you don't have to speak so much, whereas in radio, you know, you've always got to be talking because the one thing you don't want on radio is silence because <laughs> there's nothing to see. So at times when games are quiet, you've got to make sure that you've got other things that you can talk about. And you've got to have a good relationship with the main commentator as well. And 
with Talksport, they've been great with me over the last couple of years. I've been fortunate enough to do some to do some big games. You know, I did the the, the last two England games for them. Um, I'm doing Manchester United, Sheffield United this weekend. I did um, all of Manchester United's Champions League games, and I'm doing Liverpool, Manchester United next uh, the weekend after next as well. So it's something that I'm thoroughly enjoying, and everybody that I work for as well are fantastic to work for, and. You know, nobody could could have done enough for me. Everyone's great, and I think if you show willingness that you want to learn and you want to become better all the time, then that's all they can want. I'm already buzzing for that match on the 17th between Liverpool and Manchester United mm. at Anfield. Cannot wait for that one. Now, uh, other f- folks here in here in America also familiar with your voice through the the Premier League television on yes. on NBC and and the fact yes. that you do a lot of your games uh, through the World Feed. And we've had a number of commentators on the show, and I've asked every one of them this question: that this idea of of the World Feed becoming this this incredible thing, and you're on the air, and not only America, but you know at, at times. Can be up to 200 countries you're on the air in around the world. Does does that ever cross your mind as you're commentating or even right as you're done with a match going, wow, that thing was not only an English broadcast, that thing went around the world? Um, no, to be honest with you, I don't. And that's because what what I like to think that I do, when, especially like you say with the TV stuff, no matter, no matter what game I'm doing, whether it be a Champions League game, whether it be a Premier League game, an international game, or whether it be a League One or a League Two game, I will. I treat them all the same because I think that's very important because at the end of the day, you know, you, you, you'd be respectful to every single team. You know that more often than not, there are going to be people watching. And if you are doing the lower league teams, a lot of the people that will be watching will be supporters of that team. And they want to be, they want to be told something. They want to, they want to be treated as if, as if it was a big club on television. And, and that's the least that, that I would always do. I think it's, I think it's respectful and I think it's the way it has to be. But yeah, doing the PLP stuff, I do the stuff for input as well, which I know goes to um, goes to, to parts of America as well. And it's, it's great. It's fantastic. I, I go to America every year on holiday. And I think the one thing that's really stood out for me going there over the last few years is that, you know, football, obviously you call it soccer over there, is, is growing continuously. And, you know, the national team is obviously getting better and stronger. And I've been... I've been in America. Um, I was there when the last, I think the last World Cup was on, and I thought the coverage was exceptional, and 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 it was great to watch it. And and like I say, to to see the sport growing as well continuously, because obviously I know that you, you know, you have the main sports over there: your basketball, your American football, um, your ice hockey, baseball, and and I know that they are the main sports. But the things that I've seen over the last few years is that you know soccer, like I say, as you call it, is is growing all the time and it's becoming bigger and bigger and, and the players that you're starting to get coming over to the MLS as well. So it's becoming more and more attractive. And I think it's only a few years until the national team, the United States national team, become a real major force. Music to my ears. I can only hope so. We'll keep, keep on hoping and uh, definitely moving in the right direction. No so many ways. Danny Higginbottom is with us here on World Soccer Talk Radio, Sports Byline Broadcasting Network, talking about the match this upcoming weekend between Man United and Sheffield United, the Red Devils and the Blades, Saturday the 9th. And that game, again, we broadcast live on talksport.co.uk. You can listen to it a number of ways. We'll let you know all of the ways you can listen to TalkSport before the show is over today. Nate Abarea and Danny Higginbottom, back with you after this. Before I fall into 
Welcome back into World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. My name is Nate Abarea. His name is Danny Higginbottom. And it's time to talk now about the match that Danny is going to be calling this Saturday at Old Trafford, Manchester United and Sheffield United in the third round of the FA Cup. What are you most looking forward to this time around here between these teams? So we've seen play against each other quite a bit over recent years, but not all too recent with Sheffield down uh, struggling currently down in, uh, in League One, but, but getting this big uh, FA Cup draw and heading to Old Trafford here for the third round. What are you most looking forward to, Danny? Well, I think, it's a, first of all, I think it's, it's a huge game for Manchester United. Absolutely massive. Um, I think, you know, obviously it's... The, the, the Premier League title it's still wide open but it's going to be very difficult to for, for them to, to get anywhere near that obviously the results of recent haven't been great um, they got they, they beat Swansea in the last game but other than that especially at home they're struggling I think the last I think the last nine games now at home they've failed to score in the first half and you know that's not good enough so they'll be looking to, to get off to a fast start against Sheffield United and I think the thing is is that if they're not leading at half time the, the supporters will be frustrated so for me, it, I just think it's such an interesting game just because of how much is on it. Not so much for Sheffield United, but, but for Manchester United because it becomes a real huge game because Van Gaal will want to get a trophy this season. There's no question about it. The Europa League, obviously that's disappointing that they've fallen out of the Champions League. But if Sheffield United can go there and frustrate them in the first half, then it could make for a really interesting game. And I, I just think the first 20, 25 minutes are going to be key. Sheffield United can keep Manchester United quiet then. They can grow into the game, frustrate the players, frustrate the fans. Uh, whereas if Manchester United were to get an early one, then you know that would settle them down and then they could probably go into a comfortable victory. But like I say, I think you know most, most years if this was a tie for Manchester United, nobody would be over-talking it. But because of the pressures on Manchester United, because of the recent run of results that they've had, there's an enormous amount of pressure on Manchester United this weekend. When you talk about the pressure on Man United, is that something that in some ways could benefit Sheffield United? Yes, 100%. I don't think there's any question about that. I think that as a manager, um, I'm sure that Atkins will be going there. And the last thing he'll be saying to his players before they come out of the, the, the changing rooms will be, listen, keep these quiet for 20 minutes. Quiet the fans down. Because that's what you've got to do, Old Trafford. It's an FA Cup tie. It's... It, it, it's it's such a such a wonderful cup in this country. You know, it's so historic, and the fans will be there. Sheffield United will bring a large a large amount of people as well because you obviously get more tickets than you would do if it was a normal league game. So they'll bring a large contingent with them. And like I say, the Sheffield United manager will just be saying, "Listen, quiet them down the first 20, 25 minutes, and then you'll see frustration start to set in." So that's why for me, the first twenty five minutes of the game are going to be key. It, it, it will determine whether Manchester United have a comfortable afternoon or whether it becomes a difficult one now. The thing is for Sheffield United, they're in League One at the moment and they're doing well. They're only three or four points outside the playoffs and they play Wigan, who are actually in the place, but I think they play them on, um, I think it's actually on Tuesday. So the only thing could be there, you know, they may look at it and say that that is a priority. So they may rest some players. I hope they don't because, you know, the way Manchester United are playing at the moment, Sheffield United could go and frustrate them. But like I say, it all depends on the team that's put out there at the weekend for them. Oh, without a doubt. And Sheffield United, yes. I, I, I said struggling down in League One, actually currently in, in eighth place, but coming off a, uh, a 3-2 home defeat yeah. to the posh of Peterborough at, uh, at Bramall Lane actually a few days ago. Now, now, it's interesting you say that about Sheffield United in terms of their squad selection. What do you think, based on some of the things that you already touched on, Danny, and, and the pressure on Manchester United right now, what do you think Louis van Gaal is going to come with squad selection-wise? 
I I think if they were they were in a healthier position in the league, I think if they were still in the Champions League, I think you would probably see wholesale changes. But I think the position that they're in now, he has to play a strong team. There's no question about it. And I think they play um, they play Newcastle away on Tuesday. So whether the manager will have that in mind or not, I don't know. But I've always been when I was a player, I was, I was always take care of the game that's in front of you first. You know, players can recover no problem. Um, so for me, I don't think personally he will take too many chances. He may look at it and go, right, okay, see if we can get the job done. Then after maybe 50, 60 minutes, then look to take players off if things are going our way. But you know, I think it would be a bad mistake for him to rest a lot of players, have them on the bench, and then need to bring them on with say half an hour left because then you're asking for trouble. So, you know, I would imagine and expect that he will play near enough his strongest team. Don't get me wrong, he may he may make a couple of changes, may change the goalkeeper or, or a centre back or something like that. But I don't think it'll be too many changes, and he will probably say to his players, "Listen, get the job done." And after 55, 60 minutes, if the job's been done, then we can take some players off and rest them. You get them, you get the job done, then you rest the players afterwards because I just think there's too much pressure on him at the moment for him to take that risk. Danny, if Manchester United's quote-unquote strongest team were on the field for, for this match or, or for any match for that matter, if it was Manchester United's quote-unquote strongest team, yeah. would Wayne Rooney be on that pitch? Oh, I think... It, it, the, the problem that I have with Manchester United at the moment is that, you know, we, everybody was saying about Wayne Rooney, he shouldn't be in the team. So he came out of the team for a few games, nothing changed. You know, players have come in and out of the team. You hear support saying, well, he shouldn't be in the team. And then all of a sudden that player's not playing and the results don't change. For me, the problem at the moment is the way that the manager's playing the team. You know, everybody talks about how strong Manchester United are defensively, which they are, but that's not as a defensive back four, that's a defensive back nine or ten. And that's the problem. So when you have Wayne Rooney on the pitch, when you have Martial on the pitch, when you're having Juan Mata, Herrera, the, the, the plays like that, Memphis, the problem is because Manchester United are defending as a nine or as a, as a ten, they're defending very, very deep. So when these plays that I've just mentioned, you know, the, the, the forward-thinking plays, when they're getting hold of the ball, they're probably 25, 30 yards deeper than what they want to be. And it's very, very difficult then for them to do what they want to do. And it's easy for, t- for teams to, t- to defend against that. You know, as, as a footballer, you're always told, when you don't have the ball, you make the pitch as small as possible, level. you're not giving much space to the opposition. Manchester United do that very well. But then when you have the ball, you're told to make the pitch as big as possible, make it expansive, try and stretch the opposition. But that's what Manchester United aren't doing at the moment. So for me, and, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, if you were to go and sign one of the, the, the three, four, you know, one of one of the top five centre forwards in the world. The way that Manchester United are playing at the moment, he would struggle to score goals because they play so deep, and and that's something that that's what I think the fans get frustrated about. It's not the simple fact of, you know, the the results that they're having, but it's it's the style and it's the way they're going about it. And for me, the manager at the moment is not getting the best out of his players. You look at the players that he signed, and who who has actually improved since he joined the football club? That's that's the one thing that I always look for. A manager has he improved the players that are around him? And if not, then you know to a certain extent you're not doing you're not doing the job. You're not you're not doing the other you're not doing the players justice. And that's what I want to see from Manchester United. I want to see more going forward. I want I want the manager to be able to release the shackles off the players and says, right, go. We'll defenders we'll defend him four or five, but we'll attack him four and five. But at the moment. The defending is, you know, it, it's, it's good more often than not, but it's to the detriment of the forward side of the game. 
So would you, I, I take it, agree with uh, Paul Scholes statements a month and a half or so ago on uh, BBC Radio Manchester that the, the great forwards who he played with in his career at Man United, he named off Dwight York, Andy Cole, Ruud van Nistelrooy, Teddy Sheringham. He said all of those individuals who I have the greatest respect for, I think they'd struggle to play yeah. in an LVG system. You agree with that yes. assessment? Yeah, definitely. Paul Scholes is, obviously, he's a Manchester United supporter, but he's a Manchester United legend. So he sees it from the place he played with at Manchester United. When I speak about Manchester United, it's from a supporter's point of view because it's a team that I support. And, you know, you always want to see the team that, that, that you're supporting doing well. And when they're not doing well, it, it frustrates you. When they're not doing well because, you know, maybe the players aren't good enough, it, it, it's an acceptable thing for any team that you support. But when you see a, a collection of players that you know can give so much more but are just being hindered to a certain extent because of the tactics, then obviously as a supporter, it really frustrates you. Paul Scholes' point of view. You know, like I say, he played with some world-class players at Manchester United, and I think it's true what he says that you know, whoever you probably have out on that pitch at the moment playing centre forward are going to struggle because the players that are supplying a centre forward is only a centre forward is only as good as the players around him that are going to supply him with the chances. Now, if you've got centre forward and you've got the players that are going to supply him, but the players that are going to supply him are maybe 20, 30, 40 yards behind him or you're all 40 yards deeper down the pitch, then how are you going to create chances? And that's the thing. And, and when you look at Manchester United over, over the last nine games, to say that they've not scored at home in the first half, you know, that's, that isn't good enough. It, it's as simple as that. Um, you know, because it's not as though you've been playing your Barcelona, your Real Madrid's every, um, every, single, every single week. You know, you've been playing the so-called lesser teams in the Premier League and it's still, you know, nil-nil at half-time, getting beat one-nil at half-time, but too much. And, you know, for me, Manchester United need to get more on the front foot. Well, and I love, Danny, I love the emphasis that you put on the first 20 minutes of this match and, and what needs to happen <laughs> for Manchester United against Sheffield United and what the Blades can do to frustrate not only the players on the pitch and the manager on the touchline, but perhaps 70,000 supporters up in the stands. We'll talk a little bit more about this match and the luster of the FA Cup after this. If you are looking for an advantage when betting on soccer, I want to let you know about a unique open betting platform called FanBet. Nate Abarea here back on World Soccer Talk Radio. And with FanBet, you can follow your friends and top-ranked bettors to get a wealth of betting tips to help improve your real money bets. Here's how it works. FanBet runs a weekly contest called FanPlay. Members place bets on Premier League games using betting credits. The game data is analyzed, and the top bettors are ranked according to their success. And FanBet allows you to see these live picks and bet histories of these players and by following winning betters logic implies that you will become more successful sign up today for your free account at fanbet.com after you log in to your fanbet account the first thing you'll see is a live stream of picks from winning betters each better is ranked based on their average return from their last five bets you can add any pick to the odds tracker and fanbet will compare leading bookmakers to give you the best available odds for your money it's as simple as that improve your soccer betting returns with fanbet.com. A huge thank you again to fanbet.com for their continued support of World Soccer Talk Radio. We're here with Danny Higginbottom in this edition of the show, talking all about the upcoming FA Cup third round clash at Old Trafford between Manchester United and Sheffield United. It'll be 9.30 a.m. here on the west coast of the U.S. of A. 5.30 in the evening over there in the UK. And, and I got to transition into something now that you actually touched on in the last segment, Danny, and that is the, the magic of the cup and, and yeah. just the absolute beauty that is 
this competition, the history, the nostalgia, just the, the, the beauty in so many different ways. And it's so influential in, in my life as a, as a soccer fan on, on both sides of the pond and who I was educated by, blah, 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 blah. This, this could go on forever. Every year over the last five to ten years, I have to hear the same discussion about how the FA Cup is losing its luster. The FA Cup doesn't mean what it used to mean. What do you think when you hear that conversation? If you could say anything to the folks who, who really like to harp on that, that the FA Cup has, has lost some of its magic, what would you say, Dan? I would probably say that they do have a point over, over the last few years. I think last year we, we started to see it, it, it come back. Um, I think what you're finding now, especially with you know, the Premier League and what have you, and, and, and even teams that are trying to get into the Premier League, it's, it's so important for them because obviously the financial side of things and, and and how much it's worth. So at times you are seeing teams play, you know, a less than well, an understrength team. And I think what hasn't helped this season, especially this weekend, is the fact that there's a full Premier fi- uh, Premier League fixture list on the on the Tuesday and the Wednesday after the weekend. So that if managers wanted to have an excuse, that would be the first thing that they could say. They could say, well, we just had a really busy Christmas. And this was, you know, the least important thing due to the fact of where we are in the Premier League and how important it is to us and, and how thick and fast the games are coming. So for me, in an ideal world, you play the FA Cup on a Saturday where there's there's no games after that. You know, there's no games in the midweek. You've then got a full week break. But for me, growing up, the FA Cup was the FA Cup was absolutely fantastic. It was brilliant. From nine o'clock in the morning, you would. You, you would just watch it. It would be on the television. It would be the supporters on there. And one of the most memorable, thing, memorable things is the old Wembley, what they call Wembley Ways. You'd see all the supporters. You would see the, the, the two teams' coaches arriving and there'd be a helicopter following them. And it was great. And I think it, it, it's lost a little bit, but I like to think probably after, after last season it started to come back because the one thing that, that you don't probably see as much as you used to do now is, is cup shocks. Because what you're finding is is that what used to create the shocks in the cup was the bigger team going to the lesser team and the the smaller teams' pitch not being great. But the way that football is now and the money that is at the lower levels now, most of the pitches in a lot of the pitches in League One, League Two, even in conference football, are as good as some of the Premier League pitches. So Premier League teams can go there and still play the way that they want to play. Whereas if you look at some of the some of the fantastic upsets over the last five, ten years, it's been when the lesser team, the Premier League team or the Championship team has turned up there and the, the pitch has been like a mud bath and that's a real leveller. Um, so that would probably be one of the reasons why there hasn't been so many shocks. But, you know, last season there was a few and I just, I just feel that there was, there was an element of, of love regained um, last season because, because of the, some, of the, some of the surprises in the cup and that's what everybody loves. Everybody loves a cup upset. That's what everybody's interested in. And, you know, when I was a player and you had to go and play these lower league teams, you were on a hide into nothing because if you won, everyone expected it. If you didn't, then, you know, you you knew you were going to be on the back page of the newspapers. Um, and from a player's point of view, you know, it's something that you, know, you love. It, it, it's something, you know, as a kid, you dream about getting to an FA Cup final. Like I say, I was fortunate enough to, to get to two FA Cup finals. I was, I was on the bench for one of them and the other one, unfortunately, I, I was injured and, I did my cruciate, so I missed that, and that was probably the low point of my career. Um, but it's it's such a fantastic cup, and it, it's known throughout the world. Without a doubt. And i got to ask you one more thing in, in mm-hmm. regards to the, this conversation about the FA Cup, quote-unquote, losing its magic, however some people would like to phrase it. But, but you bring up something that is 
possibly the most important point of all when it comes to this conversation, and that is how elevated the Premier League has gotten in terms of the money involved yeah. in the television contracts and everything that goes with that. A lot of people point to that as one of the main reasons for, for the FA Cup losing uh, a, a level of importance or two or three. But here's something that I've picked up on. I want to get your thoughts on this, Danny, is yeah. that the, the Premier League has become such an international commodity. It is, whether it's foreign owners, whether it's these TV contracts, the billions of dollars flowing around the world, the Premier League has become this international product. And I almost feel that, in turn, the FA Cup is finding out that it is a necessity for it to keep its true English nature. And, and the FA Cup still means the world to these supporters in these towns all over England. Do you, do you pick up on any of that, that maybe the, the Cup and, and maybe even the folks at the English FA realize that, well, maybe we can keep this thing magical if we maintain its authentic English qualities as the Premier League is becoming clearly a product of the world? Yeah, I think they have to. And I think for supporters, the FA Cup will always be magical. I don't think that will ever change. I just think that when you look at the Premier League and, like I say, there's an FA Cup games this, this weekend, you know, Friday, Saturday, possibly Sunday as well. But then Premier League teams are having to play on the Tuesday and the Wednesday. That, for me, is something that, that isn't right, you know, because there is enough there is enough other midweek times when you can say, right, okay, we'll play, we'll, we'll play a midweek when the, when the FA Cup isn't there. Because what you do then, if, if any manager wants an excuse to rest players to change the team, then he's got the perfect excuse there by doing that. And But no, as, as in terms of nostalgia and everything, the, the, the FA Cup is, like I say, it's, it's probably the biggest domestic cup competition in world football. You know, everybody talks about it wherever you go and it still means as much to the supporters as it ever has done. And I think what you're starting to see now, like I say, over the last couple of years is that it's starting to come back now. The magic of the FA Cup is starting to come back now and the way that people are taking it so seriously, which is good to see. And, and like I say, hopefully this weekend, it won't it won't matter. There won't be too many changes, even though there's Premier League games coming up. You know, I think what you'll see is that it's a very open Premier League this season. And there's probably four or five teams that will believe they can win the Premier League this season, where usually it may be two, three at the most. So they will look at it as that and maybe go, OK, well, we're going to rest a few players because this Premier League is, is in such an importance to us because it may be the best opportunity that we're going to get in the very near future to win the Premier League. Absolutely. And again, the match this upcoming weekend, Saturday, January the 9th. If you want to watch it on television, be my guest, but or, or you can do what I like to do on the Saturday mornings, which is take a nice, nice walk or a jog or a bike ride and take the talk sport on the uh, on the smartphone with me. And uh, you can listen to Danny Higginbottom, accompanied by play by play man Jim Palfoot. Uh, correct for, for this one. Yeah, that's right. He's, uh, he's very good. I've worked with him on numerous occasions and um, it's always good when you, when you get to work with someone regular because it's like anything, you have to build a relationship, you have to build a partnership and you get to know each other better and I think it comes across better on the radio as well than that way. Again, Danny Higginbottom and Jim Palfoot with the call for Manchester United and Sheffield United this Saturday. All right, a couple of things that I want to talk about with you, Danny, before yep. we got to let you go. And one is your time. I, I, I teased this on Twitter earlier today, but your time with the Gibraltar national team. It's mm. definitely... Uh, I don't know if it was uh, an expected thing in your career. It came towards the uh, towards the end of your playing days. Talk about how that came about and how you ended up representing Gibraltar for a few matches. 
Well, my my mother is uh, my mother's Spanish, and my my grandma is um, is Gibraltarian. And basically, there'd been talk about it a few years previously when you know when when my career was going a lot stronger, and it was something that you know I, w- I probably I would have done, but it would have made no sense to Gibraltar because they weren't they weren't accepted by UEFA at the time, and it just would have been a complete waste of cost for them because it, you know to to fly me over there and what have you. And that was understandable. And then, as my career was coming towards an end, I was at I was at Chester, and somebody actually got on, on um, got in touch with me, funnily enough, on Twitter, and just said, you know, is it true that you know you're going to be called up to the Gibraltar national team? I spoke to the manager, and you know, he he told me, you know, his thoughts and what he had to say. And I just thought that in that point in my career, um, like most people in life, you know. I, I've made a lot of mistakes throughout my football career. You make a lot of mistakes in life, but the one thing that I like to think I haven't got is regrets. Mistakes you can do something about, you learn from them. Regrets, there's nothing you can do about them. And I think that if I haven't, if I hadn't ever accepted the call up and um, to go and play for Gibraltar, then I would think I really would have, you know, that that would have been a, a real regret that I would have had uh, later on in life. Back here, everybody was saying, you know, it's going to be seven, eight nil at best. And it was um, it was a great experience. They wanted me to carry on through the. I wasn't really enjoying playing football anymore, and I couldn't I couldn't myself and keep playing on a Saturday just so I could play international football in the in the European qualifiers. So I made that decision, and I spoke to the manager, and I told him that I played my two last games, which were two friendlies after I'd retired. And I did do that. They wanted me to join the coaching staff, but that was always going to be very difficult because of of what I was doing next. Um, and they're learning all the time. I think they have to be a little bit more open-minded with things um, if they want to improve, if they want to progress. But it, it was an, an invaluable and a fantastic experience for me to to be able to say that I played international football at the age of, I think, 34 and 35. Now, Danny, I, I really want to talk to you about the uh, the rise of the underdogs autobiography mm-hmm. uh, autobiography before we let you go. We've only got about three yep. minutes left here with you, but I have to ask you this. You, you talk about them asking you to be part of the, the coaching staff, potentially. Is coaching or managing in the football world ever something that, that you would consider? No, it's something that I've been asked a few times, but it, it's not something that is in the forefront of my mind at the moment. I'm a, I'm a person that I'm all or nothing when I when I do my work and I think with management I probably take it home with me and probably you know and the one thing now that I've got because I'm not playing football anymore is I get a little bit more time with my family and that's important to me I don't know what will happen in the future but at, at this moment at this present moment I have no real interest in management or coaching now, Danny, we do have uh, two minutes left here with you, so please take up uh, as much of that time as you'd like by telling us about the uh, Rise of the Underdogs autobiography uh, due to come out soon. Yeah, well, I got I got approached once by somebody and I, and I said no, and then uh, they got back in touch with me and they said, okay, well, well what, would it, what would it take for you to do it? And I said, well, it, it's not going to be anything sensational in there. It's going to be about me, and it's going to be about me accepting and taking taking responsibility for everything that had, that had been good and bad in my career. I read a lot of autobiographies and some very good ones. And the best ones I read are the ones that are honest about themselves and accepting the mistakes made in football. You, you own them yourself. And he said, okay, no problem. We did that. And it seems to have come across really well because of, of the honesty in it, because I believe, you know, there was times in my football career when I didn't do as well as I should have done, but that was only one person's fault. That was my fault. You know, you're looked after, you're financially rewarded well to to play to your maximum there will be times when you can't but 
you know, that there was times when I should have done better, but I didn't. And I think, I think what people appreciate from anybody if they're reading a book is acceptance of where they should have done better, why they didn't do so well instead of pointing the finger. So that's what I like to try and think I've done. And it was important for me that my football career and the book that I've done and what I'm doing now all mirrored each other. And I like to think that it's it's been a case of honesty. You know, I, it's called Rise of the Underdog because of the simple fact that I, I believe that I overachieved in my football career. But that was because I think that I was honest and I was hard working and I, I like to think that I've taken that now into what I'm doing um, is in terms of working as hard as I can and, and being as good as I can. So um, it, it, it hopefully shows and that the, the book reflects that as well. And how can folks uh, get a hold of this thing, Danny? It's been out now for um, it's been out now for quite a few months. Obviously, you know, in a um, in, in America, it's on Amazon. Um, obviously, in England, it's in the local bookshops. But Amazon's probably probably the best way to get hold of it. Like I say, it's it's done well, and it's it's a book that I believe every, everyone can relate to. You don't have to be a footballer because it's 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 about somebody's life, but making it as ordinary as possible. Because although I was a footballer, I like to feel that. I didn't lead an extravagant life or anything like that. And I think there's a lot of things that what anybody does, people can associate with it. Danny, I've wanted to get you on this show for quite a while. This was great fun, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Best of luck uh, this upcoming weekend, calling the match at Old Trafford on TalkSports there again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Again, that was Danny Higginbottom. Check him out on TalkSport, Man United, Sheffield United this Saturday. If you're in the States, 12.30 on the Eastern Seaboard, 9.30 back here on the West Coast. Back after this to close this baby out right here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. It's World Soccer Talk Radio. Welcome back into World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Another huge thank you to Danny Higginbottom. Again, check him out Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on the west coast of America, 12.30 on the eastern seaboard, 5.30 in the evening over there in the U.K. Sheffield United traveling to Old Trafford to take on Man United in the third round of the FA Cup, that competition that has not lost its luster. I swear to God, it's still got its magic, despite what some people would like to say. But we'll see what we can do to maintain the luster of the FA Cup. Just keep watching it, keep talking about it, keep going to matches. How about that? That helps. Nate Avareas signing off here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Thanks to the gaffer. Thanks to the producers. Love you. Talk to you tomorrow. Cheers. Cheers.